Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Everybody, welcome back to this week's episode. And Johnny, unfortunately, is in the Himalayas, sick with altitude is it altitude poisoning or sickness? I'm not sure. Altitude sickness. Altitude so. sickness. Uh, and he's lost his voice. He had to come down the mountain. So he won't be joining for the intro outro this week. But I have a special guest, none other than Dr. Michael Foster, also known as the CF professor. Michael, how you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. <laughs> well, thanks for filling in, man. You're across the world. I'm in Denver. Anytime. And you are in Bangkok, I believe. I am indeed. Good man. Well, appreciate you accommodating us. I know it's late your time. And we're going to talk about taxes on this episode, specifically a little free lunch that Americans can get in Puerto Rico, one of the very, very few loopholes that are relatively easy to take advantage of for U.S. citizens. Michael, you're not living in Puerto Rico. You're living in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. What What mm-hmm. are you doing about taxes? I know you're huge in municipal bonds, tax-free income. Mm-hmm. You got me into those. Are you yeah. are you doing anything specifically on your personal side to help with your tax situation? Well, assuming that the IRS isn't listening, I can say that um, definitely living abroad has a couple of benefits in that, um, it, you know, it, it's very complicated and it's idiosyncratic. It depends on your situation. But for me personally, because of the nature of the sources of income I get, there is an exclusion up to a certain amount. And so anything over that is taxed. Um, but then there are ways to minimize that. Uh, like you said, municipal bonds are, are a big part of my strategy with that. Um, another is um, I- incorporating and having an accountant that helps you identify tax write-offs is pretty beneficial as well. But um, you know, to your point, it gets pretty complicated, definitely. And uh, living abroad provides a lot of opportunities to minimize that um that liability but also um it it gets pretty hard to navigate how to do it right so i think you're speaking of foreign foreign earned income tax exclusion feie or something like that and that's Mm -hmm. for earned income which i know with your revenue streams you're able to take advantage of it's something that i used to be able to take advantage of when i was actually earning income it's not anything that i can take advantage of now unfortunately but for a lot of people, that's a great option. And for all of our international listeners, Puerto Rico won't have the same tax benefits as it does for U.S. citizens. But the great thing is, if you live anywhere in the world, literally anywhere else in the world, except for the United States or a citizen of anywhere else in the world, you have it a lot easier than people that are in the U.S. have it. And you have a lot more ways that you can make tax-free income. Right, Michael? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the biggest problems being an American is that it doesn't matter where you live, you're still going to get taxed by the American government. And I think we're one of maybe two or three countries that does that. So um, it does make things a bit more challenging. But, it, you know, if you if you learn how what the rules of the game are and how to play, you can save a lot of money. Right. So I'll just give everyone a quick example. On the last company that I was part of that we sold, I had a Canadian business partner. And while I was able to get off with long-term capital gains, that person got off completely tax-free because they were Canadian, but they were not – they're a Canadian citizen, but they were non-resident of Canada and they're resident of a tax-free place. I believe it was Turks and Caicos. Uh, So when we had the sale of the business, they got off tax-free. I had to pay 
capital gains, which is a lot better than ordinary income. But that just goes to prove that even a place of relatively high tax like Canada has a lot of loopholes if you want to build a company, sell it, and you can establish residency in a lower tax tax jurisdiction, unlike the U.S. So taxes are something that everyone should think about, especially if you're a U.S. citizen. There are fewer options to take advantage of. We're going to have on Jory Roberts, and she runs a law firm in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands, beautiful place. And they specialize in tax, corporate strategies, business, law, work, incentive programs in Puerto Rico and all types of other cool things. So we're going to have her on to talk about these two acts in Puerto Rico and how U.S. citizens can take advantage of it. And for all the listeners, stay tuned afterwards. Michael and I will talk about a few other tax strategies, building wealth and how to optimize your income for a brighter, wealthier future. Everyone, enjoy this episode with Jory Roberts. And welcome back, Jory. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here today. <laughs> I'm sure it's a beautiful day in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and I would love to know, were you originally from the U.S. Virgin Islands, or is that some place that you moved at some point? I moved to the Virgin Islands uh, 30 years ago on Thursday, so I've lived here for 30 years. I grew up in Alabama, but moved here from Washington, D.C., and have lived a few other places along the way. Wow, that's quite a quite a, a path and how I've, I suppose you've enjoyed living the island life for the last 30 years or you, you wouldn't be there. Well, I do travel quite a bit, but I do like the island life. I love uh, the Virgin Islands and I love Puerto Rico as well. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk about some of these acts on of Puerto Rico, specifically Act 22. We'll also lightly touch on Act 20. Um, but I suppose, you know, one thing when considering both of these acts is the island life. And was that originally part of the appeal for you when you moved to the U.S. Virgin Islands, or was there was there other drawing factors? I think uh, anyone moving to the Caribbean, uh, particularly one of the U.S. Uh, jurisdictions, needs to enjoy the island life, and that was definitely the case for me. Uh, I really like warm, tropical weather. I like to travel for my uh, winter one week a year, usually <laughs> on a ski slope. Uh, I also like to scuba dive and uh, motorboat, and I think the people that I know who have enjoyed Puerto Rico or the Virgin Islands for an extended period of time tend to have a, a sport or activity that they really enjoy that uh, lends itself to the, the Caribbean waters. Yeah, I was listening to a Richard Branson interview, and he was talking about his place in Necker Island and how he starts every day kite surfing playing tennis and then like nine holes of golf. And then he has his coffee and breakfast and starts his day at nine o'clock. So he's lots of recreational activities on the island, especially for people that love water sports. It's a, it's a bit of a paradise, I suppose. Absolutely. I haven't run into him kite surfing, but some surfing, but some of my friends have. There you go. Awesome. Well, I want to touch on act 22. So these Puerto Rican acts have been on my mind for a very long time. And it wasn't until I recently went to Puerto Rico, uh, before the hurricane, actually, that I was just like, wow, this is this is really a beautiful island. It's, it's very modern. It's got great infrastructure, great food. And I think the time I had been before that was on a cruise only for one day, maybe going back 15 years ago. But I was really impressed when I recently went about four or five months ago. Maybe it was, maybe it was a little bit longer than that. It was before the hurricane. And so it kind of popped back up on my mind, like, wow, I could actually, I think I could live here. And then, of course, I started thinking about some of these tax advantages, which we're going to touch on. Um, so I'm glad that we were able to get you on and, and do an episode and, and talk about what options there are for 
some of the listeners, including myself and Johnny. Absolutely. So maybe just starting off at a high level, we can give a little bit of background on what the two different acts are and who they're specifically for. Uh, sure. Uh, Act 20 and 22 were enacted in 2012. Puerto Rico, though, has a history of different types of tax incentives, and historically their tax incentives were more geared toward manufacturing, and many people associate Puerto Rico with drug companies or other types of manufacturing. But in 2012, at the beginning of the year, they decided they really wanted to attract two types of business. One is what are called export services, and those are businesses of uh, of many uh, types that are based in Puerto Rico, but that service clients outside of Puerto Rico. And one might think, uh, well, why would they be there if their clients aren't there? And and I think that's the answer is they might not be, but Hmm. this gives them tax incentives for locating when they wouldn't otherwise be there. And then at the same time, Act 22 was enacted, and it gives benefits on your um, your investment or your passive income. And it was available initially to bona fide residents of Puerto Rico who had moved, uh, who had not been residents of Puerto Rico for the preceding 15 years, and then several years later, that was amended to the preceding six years. So again, it was geared towards people who would not be living in Puerto Rico otherwise. Gotcha. And I think of them as, as as working very closely together. Okay, excellent. So one of the biggest constraints to taking advantage of either of these acts, both as an individual or a corporation, is the residency test. Is that correct? Well, it's definitely a critical factor in taking mm-hmm. advantage of either of these uh, programs. So let's go into the two, the two different types of ways that you can become a resident to take advantage of these different acts. And I would imagine there's a lot of nuances and, and, and small details that you really need to pay attention to when making sure that you are considered a resident for tax purposes. Yes. I mean, there are actually more than – it's somewhat of a, a crazy group of tests, although they all make sense if you think through them. Mm-hmm. You have to meet a physical presence test, and there are actually five different ways to meet the physical presence test. And you have to can meet different ones in different years. And the one that's gotten the most publicity, so to speak, is being in Puerto Rico all or part of 183 days each year. Mm-hmm. And if you meet that, any part of a day in Puerto Rico counts as a Puerto Rican day. So if you flew from Miami on a Monday and back on a Friday, you would be in Puerto Rico five days and you would be in the United States no days for counting purposes. Okay. However, there's an alternative test that if you are in the 50 states, 90 days or fewer, you don't have to be in Puerto Rico 183 days. And there's a third test, which is called the No Significant Connection Test, that if you don't vote in the United States, you don't have a place for your full-time use, and your family doesn't live there, then you also don't have to count days. And, of course, each of these alternatives has some additional nuances to it. The fourth one is called the 549-day test, and that's basically 183 times 3, and that just means if you spend more than 183 days in in two years, the third year you can get credit for the overage for the prior years. And finally, what I think of as the retirees test, which probably isn't as relevant to people seeking to move to Puerto Rico to do business, is if you're in Puerto Rico more than the U.S. and you have very little earned income from U.S. sources, uh, $3,000 or less, then you don't have to count days. 
So you have to meet one of those each year. Then you have to have a close – go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's it's wild that I've – I looked up five or six different resources just preparing for this episode to get a little more backing. And I had never heard of – Two, the, of the five reasons you listed, I'd never heard of two, three, or five. I knew there was a little bit of a, a gray area of interpretation for how you could become a bona fide resident. I'd heard of the physic, the actual physical test of more than a hundred or more than half the year, but some of those other options are awesome for for people that don't live in the U.S. for the majority of the they, year. They are, and a lot of them will really work well with what I think of as virtual nomads, people mm-hmm. who can work anywhere um, on a computer and are looking for lifestyle choices. Okay, wow. Okay, um, yeah, continue, please. But you also have to have a tax home, which is your principal place of business. And again, uh, that is pretty easy if you're um, living and working in Puerto Rico. Uh, some of our clients there have rented space, other work out of home offices. It might be a little uh, antiquated, but I always say if you're hanging your diplomas on the wall, do it in Puerto Rico. This is hard, you know, where you 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 return to to work. And then the third is you have to have a closer connection, and that's also a list of ten factors that's set out in the um, Internal Revenue Code, and that's where you vote, driver's license, where you tell the IRS, where you tell the Puerto Rican tax authorities you live. Where you, t- where you tell the state you moved from, bank account is on the list, although um, the list hasn't been updated in, in several decades, and I have a feeling bank accounts is something that's less relevant now. Club organizations that you belong to, if you support the Boy Scouts or you support Junior Achievement, you should do it in Puerto Rico. doesn't mean you have to suddenly start doing something you've never done before, but you need to do in Puerto Rico what you do where you live. I always think having a water sport is a good thing. Um, we typically would recommend telling your university or any clubs that you belong to that you have moved to Puerto Rico. So that goes to the closer connection test. Now, are there any stipulations? I, I thought I had read that they recently updated it, Act 22, that you needed to actually own a piece of property there, maybe over a certain value as well. Is that is that part of it now, or is that not? Yes and no. They had amended Act 20 to require that you acquire real estate, but they have since amended it to delete that requirement. Okay. And that was amended this summer. Gotcha. But at the same time, they also required you for Act 22 to acquire, um, to make an, an annual charitable contribution of $5,000. Okay. Per person. Um, and I think that makes sense in that, uh, you know, if you're renting a place and you'd still need a place available, the term is for your full-time use. And uh, the list of factors also says you need to keep personal effects there, and that's an important criteria. But if you're renting, you're helping the economy as much as if you're buying in many cases. Sure. Right. So you meet, need to meet a physical presence the closer connection and the tax home to be a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico. Okay. Now, for someone who let's let's go back to the example of kind of virtual workers, remote workers, digital nomads. So a lot of people now kind of the trend is we'll spend 3 months in four locations a year or or maybe way more, maybe you know 1 month in 12 locations or, or something in between. What guidelines would there be for someone in that capacity getting residency would you have to would you have to go there and get the physical test done first and then for every year thereafter you could 
kind of maintain a, a bona fide residence? Well, residency is determined on a year-to-year basis. So if you're truly uh, spending a lot of time in a lot of different places, first, of course, you would not meet the 183-day test. So you would need to rely on the no significant connection to the U.S. test or the no more than 90 days in the U.S. test if you have a home family member in the U.S. Mm-hmm. What would be very critical if you spend a lot of time in different places in order for Puerto Rico to be where you're a bona fide resident is that you really look at the closer connection factors and make sure that those are very strong vis-a-vis Puerto Rico. I tell people don't uh, register to vote just solely. You must vote. Mm-hmm. Get a driver's license. Don't have a separate driver's license. Just a Puerto Rican license. You know, really ensure that everything that you file reflects that Puerto Rico is your principal residence. And you need to have a place to live, and I, it needs to be available for your full-time use. The regs say that it can be rented or owned and that it can be as, as minimal as a furnished room, but it needs to be, you know, available. So don't uh, rent a place on Airbnb for a, a month, a year, and think you've done it. Okay, excellent. All right, so talking about discussed residency, talking about some of the types of income that a person utilizing Act 22 would be able to get at at least a tax-deferred rate, if not tax-free. And one of the sticking points that I was confused on was interest and dividends and the U.S. source rules, which I think they couldn't be U.S. Yeah. source. But anyways, I'll just just throw that out as kind of the, the area that I was unclear on. And maybe you could shed some light just on how the, the, the tax structure works for different types of income streams for people using Act 22, what's tax-free and, and what wouldn't uh, qualify. Uh, great. And that's a very good point. And frankly, it's one where I think there's some information out there that is either misleading or not necessarily clear. Puerto Rico, quick background, adopted the Internal Revenue Code in 39 and amended it uh, from then on in Puerto Rico. So it's different than the Internal Revenue Code. And the um, Puerto Rico has the authority granted by Congress to reduce tax on Puerto Rican source income. It cannot reduce tax on non-Puerto Rican source income. And in fact, residents of Puerto Rico who have income that isn't from Puerto Rico sources have a filing requirement with the Internal Revenue Service as well as with Puerto Rico, uh, depending on the source of the income. The sort of most attractive type of income that is Puerto Rican source is capital gains because they are sourced at where the owner resides. So if you've got someone who has moved to Puerto Rico and they then invest in capital assets, the income from those capital assets, assuming they have a valid Act 22, would be exempt from tax. Um, The nuance there is that if you move to Puerto Rico with a capital asset, you can't just sell it and say, oh, great, I've sold it and all my income is um, tax-free. There's an allocation rule that was imposed by Congress uh, on anyone moving to the territories with a capital asset. And it basically says that the asset, bef- uh, the appreciation before you move to Puerto Rico is not Puerto Rican source until you've lived there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's one rule for uh, publicly traded companies where you basically 
determine it on the day you move, or if it's a private company, you basically do Puerto Rican residence over total residence times total gain when you actually sell it. So what Puerto Rico has said is you'll do one of these allocations, and the gain from after you move to Puerto Rico will be exempt from tax, but the gain from before you move to Puerto Rico will be subject to uh, tax at the Puerto Rican capital gains rate, and that currently is 10%, but it does vary from time to time. Then after you've lived there for 10 years, if you then sell the asset, uh, the portion of gain that appreciated before you moved to Puerto Rico would be taxed at 5%. So there's a real incentive to hold on to your capital assets uh, for 10 years if you own them before you move there, especially if the gain is significant. Gotcha. Now, with regard to interest and dividends, I think there uh, – I, I hear from people that – or I've seen some things that imply that – if you live in Puerto Rico, all your interest and dividends is also eligible for an exemption under Act 22, but that is not the case. Uh, interest is sourced where the payor is located or the borrower, and dividends are sourced where the company is located. So if you move to Puerto Rico and you receive interest or dividends from, uh, say, U.S. sources or foreign sources, that is not eligible for Act 22 exemption. However, uh, there are some investment banks that I understand in Puerto Rico who've put together some mutual funds. And if the mutual funds are set up in Puerto Rico, no matter what they in turn invest in and you invest in those mutual funds, then that would give rise to Puerto Rican source income. Oh, that's, that so, is kind of what I was thinking because I know a lot of investment companies have moved to Puerto Rico and it seems like that would be some a way to structure a lot of U.S. quote-unquote based income through Puerto Rican sources. Right. So, And that's fully legitimate. Mm -hmm. What you can't do and what the statute and regs address is what are called sort of conduit situations. You can't sort of lend to someone in Puerto Rico who then lends to someone in the States, you know, with Mm -hmm. the exact amount with a small percentage difference and treat that as Puerto Rican loan because it's truly a U.S. loan. Gotcha. But uh, you can, you know, there are opportunities to work with the investment banks okay. and generate true Puerto Rico uh, investment product. Excellent. I think what would be really useful is if we could dive into maybe a couple examples to, to talk about what the scenarios would be for someone who's considering taking advantage of Act 22. Uh, I think two really good examples would be Johnny and myself because we're we're similar, but we're different in terms of the type of income we um, that we both generate. And maybe we could okay. we could talk about those two scenarios and talk about the types of income and use that to kind of clarify for some of the listeners and ourselves, of course, uh, what would be what would work immediately and what may need to be restructured. Okay. Okay. Cool. So well, let's first talk about Johnny. So Johnny, my co-host, so he's a U.S. citizen. He's single. Uh, he doesn't have any ties to the U.S. He lives abroad most of the year in Asia, but he's he's very flexible on where he can live. And most of his income is earned income. So he's he's kind of a digital entrepreneur. He's got book sales. He's got affiliate income. He's got e-commerce sales. He gets paid for sponsorships. So that would be, I would say, maybe 50, 60% of his income. And then the rest of his income are through kind of traditional investments, like uh, index funds, say Vanguard index funds, bond funds, REIT funds. He doesn't own any physical real estate. It's mostly all paper assets. 
okay. so that would be maybe a, a good example that a lot of listeners could probably also relate to. Well, the first thing I would tell Johnny is he's going to need to be in both Act 20 and 22, because Act 22 is not for earned income, as, as you described. However, Act 20 was amended to eliminate a specific employment requirement. So he does not need to have employees to qualify for Act 20. In prior years, the employee requirement has been as high as uh, five employees, and most recently it was three. But I think Puerto Rico has been very cognizant of the need to really be flexible and get smart entrepreneurial um, people to Puerto Rico, and I think that amendment reflects that. So we would he should apply under Act 20, and his earned income would fall under Act 20 as a business. Since he's going to be living in Puerto Rico, he could either do a, sort of a, a partnership or a limited liability company, or he could have a corporation. But I'd probably recommend you know that he have some sort of sort of flow through or, or sole proprietorship through an LLC. What is important, though, is that earned income is defined in the code as income earned while doing business in a location. So we need to be careful that even though he might be a bona fide resident by virtue of not having a significant connection with the United States or not spending more than a certain amount of time in the United States, he also needs to be doing the principal activities giving Rasa income physically in Puerto Rico. If he's in Asia doing the work, that's not Puerto Rican source. What we'd sort of traditionally suggest is even though there is no employee requirement, possibly get someone to work with him, particularly if he's traveling a lot, so that you have someone in Puerto Rico at all times who can sign contracts, who is involved in, in, in running the business uh, along with Johnny. The other thing I recommend is that if people travel a lot, that they make sure that they have the strategy sessions for their business in Puerto Rico. So if someone's selling books, that they decide which books to sell, have it memorialized in Puerto Rico, perhaps sign contracts, and most people are glad to come to Puerto Rico to do that in Puerto Rico, and really work to make sure that the nexus for the critical decision-making takes place there. doesn't mean you can't travel quite a bit, but you still want to have the uh, principal source of, of any earnings uh, be Puerto Rico. Then with regard to the investment income, that requires Act 22. So we would uh, submit an application for that as well. Uh, and that can be submitted sort of at the same time that you're doing the Act 20 application. Great insight. So aside from making sure that Puerto Rico and, and most of the work and services for his income are rendered in Puerto Rico. In terms of the residency, because he doesn't have any ties to the U.S., he probably only spends two or three weeks in the U.S. every year. Not that it's exactly uh, black or white, cut and dry, but you could probably assume that he could spend maybe three months a year in Puerto Rico instead of six months, as long as that was his you know, is basically his tax home and his principal base of business, but he might be able to spend as much as nine months out of the out of Puerto Rico every year in different locations. He could definitely, from the facts you presented, do that and be a bona fide resident of Puerto Rico. Again, I would want to take a look at what he would be doing, you know, when he's traveling around and to the extent that he is working for the business, try to minimize that or 
sort of double check when he's back in Puerto Rico uh, the decisions that he made, have them, you know, subject to sort of approval or um, perhaps have the formal meetings of the entity, so to speak, when he's back in Puerto Rico. Okay, excellent. But residency, absolutely. Excellent. All right. Now for the self-serving example, Sam, me. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. We're, I'm pretty much the same as Johnny in, in regards to, I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm single, uh, at least not married. And I, I effectively have no ties to the U.S. I have a U.S. phone number. Um, I receive some mail here, but I don't, I don't own property. I don't, I just don't do a lot of things here. I'm, I'm only here maybe one month a year. This year, I'll probably be here more. But I guess more of the important point is I have pretty much flexibility of where I am. Now, my income's different. So most of my income is passive. In fact, I think last year I made zero in terms of earned income. So in a sense, I'm, I guess it's sort of like the endowment approach, which we heard this on a previous episode where I'm living sort of off a nest egg at this point. And most of my income is, again, in, in a lot of traditional investments like stocks, bonds. A lot of those are based in the U.S., like through Vanguard index funds. Um, I also own REITs, similar to Johnny. But then I have a few alternative investments that I'm also very interested in seeing how they would be affected by Act 22. So one is annuities. So the annuities go through insurance uh, companies in the U.S. I think that's pretty much all there is to say about those. And then I have some foreign property that's in Asia that generates income. And let's see what else. Um, and then I also have some foreign investment accounts, actually, that those might be interesting where they're, they're managed funds, but they're actually sort of like a hedge fund or an option trading fund that are based outside of the U.S. So I think those would be some, some good examples to start on and take a look at. Sure. Well, let's start with, I guess, what I would say is the, the easy ones, but not necessarily the, the result you want, which is uh, real property investments. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether they are held for capital appreciation or rent or both. Real property investments are sourced where the real property is located. Mm-hmm. And rental income is sourced where the renter is based who pays that income. So that uh, investments in uh, foreign real property would not give rise to income that's eligible for Act 22. Mm-hmm. Now, what we have seen is if you manage that property, if, if you find that you're doing a number of activities, helping, say, do background checks on potential tenants, uh, you know, uh, interviewing prospective businesses to come into your property or anything like that, you could possibly combine it with an Act 20 management company. But for Act 22, for the investment income, that would not give rise to uh, the exemption, and it would require um, a a dual filing. For the U.S.? With the U.S., uh, absolutely. Gotcha. But if it was was Puerto Rico property, if because I know there's some good deals on Puerto Rico property now, then it, then it would be essentially fully free, right? Or exempt. If you've got investment property in Puerto Rico, then the income would be, um, you know, investment income. So it'd be eligible. Great. Um, And then, in fact, that may be one of the reasons that they have uh, instituted this act to, Mm -hmm. I think one thing they very much want is to have 
people move to Puerto Rico and and invest in their uh, companies and uh, other uh, investments. Right. With regard to stocks and bonds and uh, real estate investment trust, again, to the extent that your investment in real estate investment trust would be like any capital investment, so if you're receiving capital gains from it, then that would be eligible. If you owned it before you moved here, you would have the uh, 15%, I mean 10% rate if you sold it within uh, 10 years and otherwise 5%, as we've discussed. And then... uh, uh, but then investments that you make after you move to Puerto Rico would be exempt. Okay. And now that would be for, so if that was in a REIT, then that would be for, even if it was a U.S. based REIT that invested in U.S. real estate companies? Well, to the extent um, that you own the real estate investment trust as a security, it would be treated like a security and you would not look through. Okay. All right. And that would be for both capital gains and also dividends and uh, dividend and distributions from that REIT? No, the dividends and distributions would be uh, U.S. source, and those would not be eligible for the benefits. Okay. It would be um, same same as if you invested in a corporation. All right. And if I own Singapore REITs that only invested in Asia or Singapore, then those would be fully? Well, again, if you invest in Singapore REIT, uh, it would be the same as far as if you sold it, you get capital gain, but if you get the equivalent of a distribution from it, it would be sourced in that location. So it would not be eligible for benefits. Okay, 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 okay. Gotcha. Keep coming back to that point thinking, okay, if it's not if it's not sourced in the US, it's clear, but it's it has to be sourced through Puerto Rico in order to be eligible for the exemption. Right. It's gotta be Puerto Rican sourced. It isn't that it can't be United States sourced. Okay. Whereas in the residency rules, there's the 90 day or less, which is specific, uh, United States specific. Okay. All right. So, so let's see two others. Okay. How about a, so I guess that would also include uh, a foreign, let's say a foreign hedge fund. If, if it's based in Thailand and you invest in it, even though it's not derived from the US, it also it's not derived from Puerto Rico, which means it's fallen to the same rules as the foreign re example, where if there's a capital gain from it, you would have uh, the exemption. But if there's distributions, operating distributions, then those would not be exempt. Correct. But I also find that a lot of people now are investing for capital appreciation. So that mm-hmm. works very well. And we haven't really talked about the difference between short-term and long-term capital gains. But as long as it's a capital gain, such as uh, your trading mm-hmm. company um, shares or other assets, you would get the benefit even if it's a short-term capital gain. Okay. That's a good one because I have a, a foreign Forex account that's managed and that's all that's all trading. So those, those are effectively short-term capital gains for the most part. So those would be fully exempt, I would imagine. Those would be exempt if you started trading after you were bona fide resident of Puerto right. Rico. Hint, hint to all those people listening and to my buddies over at Art of FX. Might work out well. And I also have um, a lot of private investments. And these are typically startup investments. So high risk, no distributions, and hopefully a, you know a liquidation event in the future, which would all be in the form of capital gains. So imagine that is a great portfolio to have to, to also take advantage of these exemptions? Yes. And that would be um, a very good use 
of Act 22 and uh, Puerto Rican residency. Cool. So it seems like for both cases of Johnny and myself, there's not only the ability to live in Puerto Rico less than six months a year, but also it seems like there's a way to structure at least a good portion of our income uh, to take advantage of the exemptions. It might not be as easy as just moving to the island and <laughs> and making the transition. It might take a little bit of restructuring, but there's there's would be significant advantages that both use cases of myself and Johnny could take advantage of um, if we went, went went over to Puerto Rico and were able to establish a residency. And um, is it like an application for Act 20 and 22 that you actually have to apply for? They actually each have applications, mm-hmm. but they are uh, pretty straightforward and they're submitted online. Okay. That seems pretty cool. We're glad to, we do it on a regular basis. And it's a fairly straightforward process. One thing I like about Puerto Rico is that they have clear rules and they have a clear process. And if you meet the requirements, you get the act. There's not a subjective uh, board or other determining person who has some leeway. Mm-hmm. Now, is it on a, it's on, you mentioned it's on a, the residencies on an annual basis. So is it the same thing where, you, you basically just show your case and they either stamp you, yes, you're a resident, or no, you don't, you, you don't qualify each year? Well, remember, Act 20 doesn't deal with the individual owners. It's related to businesses. Mm-hmm. With regard to Act 22, uh, one thing I should point out is if you actually read the Act 22 statute, it only talks about the 183 days test of calling for, for residents. But in practice, the Act 22 decrees that we've gotten and in our discussions with uh, the Puerto Rican authorities uh, make it clear that they adopt the five residency tests. And the uh, decrees we've seen actually sort of cross-reference the federal rules. Hmm. But uh, once you have it, assuming that you remain a resident, you don't have to sort of reapply for Act 22 every year. You do need to make the $5,000 charitable contribution every year. Okay. But you have it until uh, 1935. I mean, 2035, uh, December 31st, 2035. Well, Jory, have you been over to the island since since the hurricane? I have uh, flown over it. I haven't physically been on Puerto Rico. I'm going to be going next week for the first time. But Uh, uh, a number of my uh, friends and colleagues have, and I think San Juan is very much open back for business. They had investment conference last week. And most of the hotels are open, and people should not at all be concerned about going to Puerto Rico uh, at this stage, particularly in the greater San Juan area. Mm-hmm. And as people may know, the IRS determined that any time spent out of Puerto Rico, or I should add the Virgin Islands, between uh, the hurricanes that hit in September and the end of the year counted as being in Puerto Rico or the oh, Virgin wow. Islands. Wow. Okay. So that people, in effect, got 117 days towards their residency for the 183 test, or the particularly the the three year averaging, um, as a sort of a, a recognition from the Internal Revenue Service of I think the unique aspects of living on an island and the particular uh, issues that uh, Puerto Rican residents had to face after the hurricane. Well, dare I say that was a nice consideration of the IRS to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, I know uh, we had Harry Den on the show previously, and he he recently well, he went a few years ago and, and bought a place down there. And uh, he, when when I went, the, the I thought the property prices were very reasonable. I mean, especially flying from Miami there. You know, Miami is the, the price of a condo in Miami might be three to four times of that in downtown San Juan. And I know after the hurricane, Mr. Dent was saying prices are down 30, 40, 50% in some areas. So for listeners out there that are you're considering this, now is not a bad time to go check it out for yourself, take a look at some property. And Jory, I would just say, um, you know, for individuals that are interested in doing this, let's say specifically for Act 22, you know, what's the best way to get started? Is it just a matter of buying a ticket, going to Puerto Rico and starting the clock? Or do you recommend engaging a, a firm like yourself and kind of getting a, a checklist and a process to, you know, cover all the, the relevant pieces that you're going to need to apply for the act and obtain residency? I would recommend uh, uh, checking with a professional advisor. I think it's very important you mentioned getting a, a ticket and going to Puerto Rico you know, that people go and make sure it's someplace they want to be. Because I always say that economic incentives should never um, stimulate your your life choices. You should make the life choices and then rearrange them or arrange them <laughs> uh, if there are economic incentives to take advantage of it. I love living in the Caribbean. Uh, I think San Juan is a wonderful city. I love many of the other parts of Puerto Rico. but I, But it's not for everybody. And no matter which uh, choice, you're going to have to spend time there. So I would suggest that people go take a look at it. There are some other nuances, particularly uh, there's a year of move rule. And if you move to Puerto Rico after the beginning of the year, uh, you can, as long as you move before the middle of the year and establish your closer connection and tax home by the middle of the year. But if you rely on the year of move uh, rule, then you have to remain there for the next three years, even if you can't stand it, or you have to, in effect, uh, file an amended return for the year that you moved. So there are a few things like that. I always think it's very advisable for people who are thinking about moving to Puerto Rico to really uh, get down there in October, November of a year before they want to be a bona fide resident. Go ahead and arrange a place to live, get to know some people. One delightful thing about Puerto Rico is both Act 20 and 22 have established both online and physical uh, clubs, societies, uh, right. networks. <laughs> so there's a real good resource there as well that people can tap into. I suggest that people, if they are college grads, write their college. Get a list of alums in Puerto Rico, look them up. Uh, and, and so, you know, start establishing a network and try to do that a few months before the beginning of the year that you want to be a bona fide resident. We could get the Act 22 in in the interim and the Act 20 application because benefits under Act 20 are only for income received after the application has been submitted and acknowledged as, as such. So if we have a couple of, of uh, months in the fall to work with clients, we can really make sure that they hit the ground running as of January 1st of the following year with both Act 20 and 22, if both are relevant, or if not, whichever one they want to take advantage of. Really, really good insights. And, you know, reading up on this stuff before having this interview with you, this is so many things I picked up on this episode that I did not see in, you know, the one page articles in Forbes or Bloomberg about this stuff. So there's lots of little details there, which is why I think it's really important to engage a professional like yourself and your firm. And uh, I'm curious, what like what are you seeing 
with a lot of the people that are doing it are, are people going over and trying to take advantage of maybe capital gains for two or three years and then doing something else? Or do a lot of people that you see doing this stay on the island for, you know, for half a dozen or longer years? I see both. And to be honest, I don't see the big difference between people moving to Puerto Rico to take advantage of Act 20 and people who just moved to Puerto Rico to try it out. You're going to have people who come and after a couple of years uh, really feel like they need uh, the seasons Mm -hmm. or, you know, want to try something else. And then you have people like myself who moved to the Caribbean and uh, never anticipate staying there for several decades but end up doing so. So a lot of the people, uh, uh, a lot of people in Palmas del Mar, I mean, I have a number of friends in Puerto Rico who are gotten entrenched in the community. They founded organizations. They're working together on charitable projects uh, and are probably going to be there uh, a long time. Other people try it for a couple years and it just doesn't work for them. Great. Well, Jory, thank you so much for coming on, cluing myself, Johnny, and a lot of listeners into some of these options that are available for U.S. citizens mostly. And you know, what it's like to become a Puerto Rico resident. I think a lot of people are talking about it now. Maybe more people are really considering it. And I'm excited to talk to Johnny and see what his takeaway is and if this would be an option. We will leave links in the show notes to you, Jory, and your firm. And I wish you a lovely afternoon in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Well, thank you so much, Sam. And we've really enjoyed talking to you, or I have. And, uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you again at some point, and I would be delighted to talk with any of your listeners if they have further questions about moving to Puerto Rico and participating in the programs and becoming uh, bona fide residents there. Great to hear. We'll leave links in the show notes, and we'll catch you guys all next week. Okay. Thanks. All right, Michael. Well, I got dreams of Puerto Rico. Are we, are we doing this together? Oh, boy. You know, I've never been to Puerto Rico. Um, I did go to the Dominican Republic once, um, and I'm not sure if I would go back. But um, <laughs> That's a tough comparison. It is. No, I mean, yeah, the beaches in that part of the world are gorgeous. And i got to say, the beaches there, I, I think, are the best in the world, the best that I've seen. They're, they're better than you get in Asia, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, that's – and, you know – if uh, if we get to see Mr. Virgin Air himself, uh, you know, going around uh, kite surfing or whatever, that could be kind of cool too. <laughs> well, I went down to Puerto Rico about a year ago, and I was thoroughly impressed. I thought it was one of the better islands, if not the best islands and in, island in the Caribbean. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's it is the USA. When you go in, right? I flew in from BVI, British Virgin Islands, to. Puerto Rico, and they said, welcome back. It was an American mm-hmm. U.S. border control guy, and he's like, welcome back, which I was shocked because I, I didn't think it was that assimilated or that aligned with the USA. Um, but everything, the infrastructure was great. I know they just had this horrible hurricane go through and, and I guess right. proved that the infrastructure maybe was not that great. However, mm-hmm. I thought the, the food was fantastic. The people were cool. It was very lively. Right. So it's, 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 it's a spot and, I would consider doing this, but only if I had some friends. I wouldn't just go by myself and say, I'm going to make a life in Puerto Rico for the tax savings. I would do it if it was like three or four of us and we're like, let's go do it for three years. You know, I think that, I think that, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, organizing your life around taxes can 
pretty quickly make a person miserable. But that said, you know, uh, back when I lived in New York City before I retired, more or less, um, I, I lived in an area with a lot of Puerto Ricans, and uh, they're really cool people. They are fun, they're friendly, they're warm, they're easygoing. Um, and I have a feeling that uh, you go to Puerto Rico and uh, you, you can make friends pretty quickly. Tell me about what it was like living in New York a state with relatively high state income tax. And I imagine you were, you were doing fairly well when you were living there. What was it like there tax wise yeah, yeah. compared to your experience living abroad or in other places? Oh boy. Well, that's why I left. Um, the, the taxes were absolutely brutal, especially because living in Manhattan, you've also got city taxes as well. Oh so you're getting, yeah, you're just getting tax and tax and tax. It, it was too much. So, um, I left. Um, and one of the reasons I left was to get, get away from the high taxes and all of a sudden, you know, my quality of life was so much better. Um, and I had more money in my pocket. So it was, you know, the right Does, thing to do. do you find that the high taxes, so you, you're paying income tax, high taxes, but then don't you find that that also drives up the price of goods and stuff because businesses and, and people are paying more of their income. So they have to make more also. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got the higher, not only the higher um, taxes, but also the higher regulations and uh, the high competition in a place like New York City means that the rents are really high so that, you know, you go to a restaurant, they're going to have to make money back on all the taxes they have to pay mm-hmm. plus the higher rents, which means that uh, you're going to pay more money for lower quality goods and services. And that's something that I, I've experienced. I mean, I've lived in many places since living in New York, including Hong Kong, which is pretty damn expensive, too. Mm-hmm. But I'd say that the quality for the price you know, that, that comparison, pretty much everywhere I've been is better than New York. The only place that I'd say is worse is London. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I was told one time by an early mentor of mine, I want to get your opinion on this because I, I think it's a really, if you agree and if people agree, which it's, it's my opinion now and, and my, and part of my experience, it's an important piece of information to cement in your head when you're thinking about your goals and your future in terms of your wealth is that I was on a plane with this guy and we were, you know, I was young. I was only 22 at the time. And he goes, you know, so-and-so, they're, they're making a million dollars a year doing, you know, what you're trying to do. And I'm like, that is, ins- that's like insane. I could never imagine making a million dollars a year. He's like, dude, you, you, you realize it will take him 40 years of that to get to where I got in five years by building and selling a business. He's like, the only mm-hmm. way to, the only way to accumulate wealth in the U.S. is you either have to have a very, very long time, 30, 25, 30 years of very, a very disciplined saving and investing, or you got to make money in a big chunk with long-term capital gains because otherwise the taxes and inflation just eat away at everything. So the example was this guy was making a million dollars a year. He's living in New York. Well, he's going to be paying close to 50% of that right off the top, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then you got all, you know, then you have the sales tax on all the goods that you buy. Plus, if you're making a million dollars a year, you're not living like, you know, you're in New York. You're, you're probably spending $250,000 a year just on lifestyle. So at mm-hmm. the end of, at the end and after inflation kicks in, you know, you might be able to save a hundred grand or 200 grand. And then if you have a kids and stuff, you know, you're spending even more. So I thought that was a really valuable point to, to think about it as, okay, if you're really ambitious, you need to think about maybe making money in a, in a, a sale, uh, or some type of format that you can make long-term capital gains at a much lower tax bracket versus trying to increase your income 10%, 20%, 30%, uh, 
but paying ordinary income tax on that and just having your wealth kind of erode away or, or finding it very, very difficult to accumulate wealth. Yeah, I, I would say that, um, I mean, in my business, um, because, uh, you know, a number of my subscribers are, you know, uh, professionals in the financial industry, and I, I do get job offers every once in a while to go back to New York or Boston uh, to work in the industry again. And uh, so I constantly calculate, you know, so if I move back, how much money would I have to make to match the quality of life that I have here? And that calculus always results in, in me just thinking that you know, there's no way that I could ever accept any job, even if I was being offered even, I'd say, three or four times as much as I'm making now. It, it just doesn't make sense. And I think that's one of the problems with people who are beginning their careers is they really just focus on the salary. You know, they look at and they look at, you know, getting offered one hundred fifty thousand dollars and they think, whoa, that's so much money. And then you move to New York and you realize you are having a terrible um, lifestyle because everything is so expensive. Whereas if you were offered even uh, I would say even $60,000 um, or you could make $60,000 while living in Puerto Rico, your lifestyle is going to be substantially better, better. And we haven't even talked about the difference in weather. Yeah, right. Exactly. And for a lot of the listeners know, Tim Ferriss just moved to Austin, Texas. And I got a kick out of listening to a recent podcast and he was talking about how much he loved Austin, how he moved there for the music and the warm weather and the mm -hmm. people. And I'm like, bullshit. There is no <laughs> chance that tax was not at least 50% of the equation, at least. Yeah, he's, no state taxes. He's going to be paying 13% in California on top of federal. I mean, let's say he's making, let's say he's making $3 million a year. 13% of that is, we'll calculate, $400,000? Like 420000 yeah, a little okay. bit over four. Damn, your math is good and fast, buddy. Uh, that's a shitload of money. That's an insane mm -hmm. amount of money. I mean, if you're talking about a move from San Francisco to Austin, for me, it's a no-brainer. And that's why Austin is, is getting like some crazy amount of people moving from California every single day. Moving right. to Puerto Rico, a little bit more of a stretch. Uh, however... I think that part of that stretch is that it seems like it's a bit intimidating to go in and, and work through all these processes. Um, but then you remember, like, I don't know if you've ever been to Cuba, Michael. Uh, no, I haven't. Actually. So that's a really intimidating process as an American citizen. Mm -hmm. Like you have to have all this oh, documentation and you got to be able to prove that you're going there for some non-travel reason, which of course everyone goes for travel reasons. But it's intimidating. You're like, I might get in trouble for doing this. I'm not going to risk it. Right. And then you go down to Cuba and it's like the easiest process. Like you literally go to the airport in Miami or whatever. You get on a plane. No one checks anything. You get to Cuba. They welcome you with open arms. You fly back after having, uh, you know, too many cocktails. And it's so easy. And I, I think the same goes with something like this. It can be very intimidating for people to think, oh, I don't know if I'm, you know, is it going to work out? Am I going to face the IRS? Blah, blah, blah. But I think if you go down with a plan and you just just commit to it, and you make sure you have some type of, of, of legal process to follow, I don't think it would be bad at all. So, you know, I've spent um, almost all of my adult life as an expat, uh, as a student, um, as an employee, um, as a retiree, and as a business owner. So kind of in each situation. And um, the thing that I can say is that it's actually very, very easy. And I think that a lot of Americans... Because frankly, many Americans just don't travel. You know, the country's so big, there's little reason to leave the country. Um, so it seems very intimidating. 
intimidating. But when you actually go out and you go to these different countries and you experience the life and you get welcomed and you see all of the opportunities that are available, it suddenly gets very, very easy. And, and another thing I can say is that I've, I've got some friends in many countries around the world who are not terribly bright and have made careers and lives for themselves as expats. And I tell you, if those guys can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> I love it. Love the encouragement, enthusiasm. And I guess just referencing before we, we summarize our income streams, uh, it seems like Johnny's income stream would be actually, I think your income stream and Johnny income stream are, are quite similar. I feel like mm -hmm. both would work very well in Puerto Rico in terms of taking advantage of these tax in, uh, incentives. Mine, I think would be slightly more challenging to structure. There's definitely a few that would work, a few that wouldn't, but you know, for people with income like yours and Johnny's, I think this is a really good option, even if it's just for, you know, two or three years. But listening to that episode, does it seem like most of your income would be tax exempt if you got down there and set up shop? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I'd have to look a little uh, more closely because I think, you know, I do I do get about half of my income does come from investments, uh, you know, maybe close funds mostly that I that I invest in although I have some other things and uh, you know she did mention about the layers of, of uh, you know if you uh, if you own a mutual fund then it's taxed differently than if you own the equity stakes in a stock directly and I don't know how that would work with closed-end funds and how those are, are uh, treated according to the tax law uh, it was it's something I'd have to definitely look into but it really does go back to the point that when you make this leap you kind of need a professional to uh, help you and make sure that, you know, because everyone's situation is unique. You need to make sure that you're playing by the rules. Absolutely. So for listeners, when we post this in the Boss Lounge, be sure to leave your comments. If you know anyone who has moved to Puerto Rico to take advantage of this, anyone that's living on an island, I find the island life quite intriguing. I lived on an island in uh, Turks and Caicos for about eight weeks, and it was it was fun and it was challenging at the same time. There is a reality in island fever. But looking forward to getting the discussion going on this episode. Michael, thanks for coming on as a guest host. Johnny, we, we hope uh, you are feeling better in the Himalayas. Get down from that altitude, my friend. Get down off the mountain, back to sea level. We're, we're men of the sea level. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up next week. For all the listeners, take a look at the show notes if you want information on Jory Roberts or her company in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. We'll leave links to all that. And huge shout for all the reviews that have been coming in over the last couple of weeks. We really appreciate it. And it helps us to get on great guests to bring on and share information to benefit us all. So with that, we'll see you guys all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.